Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. I'm currently on a book tour around the United States and hope to see you. Find the schedule of my events at warisalie.org. It is my terrific pleasure to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week, Ahmed Salah. He is the author of a new book called You Are Under Arrest for Masterminding the Egyptian Revolution, a memoir written with Alex Mayasi. Uh, Ahmed Salah, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Thank you very much, David. I feel welcome. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much for being here and for having written this terrific book, which is full of, of lessons for anybody in Egypt or elsewhere going forward, wanting to, to change their society. I know you want to correct a bunch of misconceptions people have about the Egyptian revolution and, and give us some lessons, but can, can we first look uh, briefly at the background that the book recounts in such detail from around 2003 up to 2011? It, it was the U.S. attack on Iraq in 2003, in fact, that, that was the first spark that brought people out into the streets, was it not? Uh, yes and no. You see, with the invasion of Iraq on March 20th and 21st, we actually occupied Tahrir, and we had uh, huge marshes in, in all over uh, Cairo, uh, with involving hundreds of thousands of people and all that. And this was met with extreme brutality, as it is described, and brutality that I have never seen before at that time. Yeah. And it was shocking to me, as it was shocking to everybody else. Uh, and it made us realize we cannot have this uh, uh, opium of thinking that we are protesting an aggression from an outside force. If we are actually living under an oppressive local occupation inside, and we have to address this issue, our own freedom, before we think of wanting to liberate another nation being under attack or any of that stuff that they were trying to uh, uh, put out, you know, in the, in the media at that time, uh, which is part of the hypocrisy, the hypocrisy of the regime of Hosni Mubarak at that time, who would pretend in the West as he is the best friend of the United States, and actually he does what the U.S. wants him to do, but at the same time, locally in Egypt, he would be portraying himself as the shield that protects Egyptians from the conspiracies of the Americans, and Zionist, and therefore he is trying to make uh, himself the uh, monopolist of any communication with the West at that time, like with Hosni Mubarak, and therefore uh, it was important to talk with international politicians, uh, particularly here in the United States, which I described uh, in the book in the years uh, leading to the revolution. You and others started organizations, uh, Kafaya, meaning Enough, and Youth for Change. And in fact, you recount in the book that when Bush's lies about weapons in Iraq fell apart and he started talking about democracy, uh, that was actually to your benefit, and you found a little more freedom to demonstrate in the streets. Uh, absolutely. This was the story that we had in 2005, and actually starting from late 2004. And so we had some very strong movement in the street. But because the Bush administration at that time was not serious enough about actually supporting any democratic change in the region, 
uh, for real. Uh, the U.S. just pulled out its uh, pressure on the Egyptian regime to protect human rights, to respect human rights. And by 2006, that was a massive, you know, arrest, torture, thousands of people in prison, including myself. I was almost killed during this period. Uh, it was, uh, I, I had long hunger strike. It was, it was very difficult time for us. And then there was no uh, uh, opening of any political space in uh, 2007, and even uh, later. Like, we had to try to come up with ideas that were innovative in order to spread again the, you know, the dissent, the, the awareness, the people having hope and try to fight for their rights. And one of the things you did with uh, Youth for Change was you went to neighborhoods without announcing it on the internet or publicly and and did quick demonstrations and street theater and then moved on before the police could get there. Uh, is that right? And did that then... Yeah, these are tactics that uh, activists under very extreme conditions would have to do. They understand that their window for taking action is very limited. It could be limited to 10, 15 minutes in some areas. It could be limited to up to half an hour in others. But still, it's extremely limited. And in order to benefit from this the best, there, of course, would be tactics that would be used in order to scout the area, in order to secure it, and uh, to make something that would have an impact on the people, awakening impact, before pulling out very quickly and disappearing. So we were bringing the message to people in their own neighborhoods, in various places. And it was uh, a very, uh, to a certain extent, exciting even uh, way of uh, doing this for the activists who were involved. Uh, once they learn how to do it right so that they are safe and they don't get arrested once they try to uh, do something uh, out there because they, they didn't know how to do it right. And, and, and you recalled this practice years later, and it served as something of a model for your plan uh, in 2011 to, to build up enough people uh, to approach Tahrir Square. Is that right? How did, uh, how did that work in, in planning to, to, to get people in large numbers assembled? Of course, trying to get into something like that is a gradual like, you, you, you get bit pieces of experiences until you figure out how to do this thing or that thing, or then if that works, then you probably find a new way of getting the whole story, uh, the, 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 uh, you know, what, really, what, what was going on. Uh, back then, uh, it was, you look at it, the, uh, the balance is extremely wrong. Uh, you have... Uh, the nation uh, uh, wealth in the hands of Hosni Mubarak, like 45% of the economy is in the hands of the military alone. And then the rest of the economy is in the hands of the goons of Hosni Mubarak, his friends. Uh, you have uh, about 2 million individuals in his forces. So you have about uh, 1.5 million in the police and another half a million in the military. Uh, it, it, very uh, strong security grip. So it feels for the people that there is no chance. And without trying to bring hope to the people, despite of the media uh, uh, constant brainwash, 
trying to undermine people, trying to make the different groups of the nation hate each other to divide and conquer the usual tactics. Despite all this, our work was to counteract all this and to bring hope to the people so they can rise. This was the challenge, and the book tells how to make it by showing many of the things, the tactics that didn't work, and finally, what tactics seem to be more, uh, you know, effective. So we can see the journey of how to find a solution uh, that works in a country where the balance of power is extremely imbalanced between the people on one hand and those that have the authority, whether it's financial or military or political, on the other. We're speaking with Ahmed Saleh, whose book is You Are Under Arrest for Masterminding the Egyptian Revolution, and it does indeed explain the, these this experimentation over a period of years and different uh, moments of, of possibility. Uh, it, it, you, in the book, state quite strongly that you think foreign journalists in observing these activities greatly overestimate and estimate and overestimated for years the the role of the internet uh, the the Facebook revolution the Twitter revolution uh, can you can you explain what they got wrong? This was an attempt to a little oversimplify what was going on, but let's look at the facts and then try to understand what really was happening. So most Egyptians don't have access to internet in the first place. While the internet is constantly monitored because Egypt is a police state. And to try to organize using internet, we've tried that several years. We have an event, you get a large number to sometimes of participants online. You go to the event, and it's always the same amount of a few dozen maximum of activists surrounded by thousands of groups. Very thick security presence that would isolate us from our target. So we choose usually a large place where we would do this. And then we are disappearing in this large place because we are small in number, surrounded by a lot of troops, so people don't even know what's going on. They just see, you know, police presence. So it, that was not working. And in order to make this work, we had to have a plan. There was a plan that I had and I was hoping to materialize since 2008. And it has been mentioned in one of the WikiLeaks tables as I was trying to give some heads up about this at a meeting at the U.S. Embassy in Cairo in order to uh, uh, ensure that the U.S. will not go against our attempt. And uh, it was a real uh, uh, challenge to figure out how to uh, work with these ideas because things were changing. Like the original plan was based on creating a movement, a, a new youth movement on new concepts with different structure than youth for change. 
So we started April 6th youth movement. And the structure had to reach, by the end of 2010, a certain form that there would be uh, an average of at least 50 semi-independent small groups of activists in the area of Greater Cairo, in addition to around 15 in every other government or like state here. And uh, these are supposed to work in uh, agitating, if you want to say, uh, a neighborhood in the city where they are in order to, by a certain time that was not specified yet back then, in April or in July 2011, it would be the day when we start a revolution. This was the initial plan. Of course, it had to go through changes uh, as uh, we had to go through the work and uh, trying to come up with uh, all these different solutions and so on. So it, it's explained in the book. It takes a long time to try to explain all this. Yes, indeed. I know our time is limited. Well, I, I highly recommend that everyone read the book, um, but I think one of the more interesting points that, uh, to me, that came up relatively late in the process was that you found that in the poor neighborhoods where you expected the most uh, uh, activism, uh, you ran into people whose only source of news was the state media and who tended to believe it, whereas in middle-class neighborhoods you found people with access to better information uh, and more uh, willingness to, to join an uprising. Is, do I have that right? Yeah, absolutely. I, we have realized that there are two different issues that must exist together in order to bring about change. One is that, of course, there is something wrong that we need to change. And the other thing is, our awareness that this is wrong and we need to change it. When people are subjected to constant brainwash, they lose the ability to actually stand for themselves because their, their, their reality is so fragile and is always threatened. And they just have to take what they hear and get on with their lives. And this is a huge problem. Uh, therefore, we noticed in dictatorships that they would have a very strong interest in maintaining a kind of ignorant population. A population that is uh, less informed, a population that is manipulated by propaganda through controlled media, etc., uh, etc. Et and uh, in a country, of course, like Egypt, where illiteracy is uh, about half the population, unfortunately, uh, and with extreme uh, uh, economical problems that had been worsening under Hosni Mubarak, and now they are a nightmare. Uh, been a, a one-way slope, uh, uh, unfortunately, under the military, going down. Uh, that's uh, that's uh, the situation. Like, uh, what can you do? Uh, people, of course, would be uh, not able to resist because they don't have this awareness. So we had to bring the awareness into places, 
and it seemed less working, uh, the poorer probably the people were for a little while. After the revolution started already, we had many people, of course, coming from every different category in Egypt because that was that shook the country. And uh, it, you would have the most educated university professors side by side with persons who are so poor that probably the, 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 the nobody uh, would employ them in their, you know, whatever business they have uh, because they are too rich and too snobbish originally. But uh, I'm, I'm just trying to give an idea of, like, the different spectrum of people that participated in the revolution, the young and the old, the uh, uh, males and females, uh, of course, Muslims and Christians, uh, religious and atheists, uh, all different groups of people unified in order to achieve the change that we aspire. Why did we have this kind of unity of all these different kinds of people? This is a very important question. And to ask this question and to try to look, for example, at the Occupy movement and how it went and so on, we need to pay some attention. Uh, a very important component of what we were doing was to take out the politics. Take out what divides. We are all together in this. No one is a leader of another. We are all kind of shoulder to shoulder, you know, and fighting for the same thing with the same clear agenda, which is freedom, equality, justice, rule of law, transparency, democracy. Just the values that everybody agrees on, the universal values. And we are leaving anything political into after we succeed. This was the idea. Uh, Unfortunately, the political process never succeeded, although the revolutionary process succeeded. Three times we brought three regimes. We brought Hosni Mubarak down, three decades dictator, then the military that followed him, and then the Islamist government that tried to uh, make uh, a copy of Iran in Egypt which, of course, was not something Egyptians are, uh, were happy about. And so we revolted again against this until we brought it down. But then the military are back in power uh, in a clear coup d'etat, which is illegal according to the international laws, including that of the United States. So the United States should not have a relationship with this regime according to its laws. But the U.S. is arming uh, TC, General TC, the dictator in Egypt, giving him uh, a lot of uh, uh, political cover for his crimes against humanity. He had committed and is committing constantly crimes against humanity, uh, which had been proven by uh, uh, reports of Amnesty International and uh, uh, different organizations, Human Rights Watch and so on, uh, uh, because of massacres, large massacres that were conducted under his orders a uh, few times, in addition to the uh, systematic disappearances of activists who get tortured till death. Uh, the fact that my colleagues in Egypt who are protesting almost every day, they get arrested for protesting and then they get sentenced at least three years of prison for protesting. I have other friends who are spending 15 years in prison now, sentenced for protesting, and people are still trying. 
And the United States government, as you say, is arming that dictatorship like many other dictatorships uh, around the world. Um, be, before we, if we have time... The Republican candidates particularly, it is so scary. They want to rely on regimes like this. They want to make a lot of like you know, they would say, oh, what would I say to uh, President Sisi? Or, like, we have to depend on our allies. No, President What are they trying to do? You, you, you say Republican candidates in particular. Well, a woman named Hillary Clinton is, is running in the Democratic uh, uh, primary, who, uh, whose family foundation took millions from any dictatorship it could get it from and waived all restrictions and shipped weapons everywhere. Um, yeah, and I, I, to, to be totally honest, I, I know that we are, uh, 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 I mean, this is on air and everything. Actually, uh, Hillary Clinton was very hostile to the idea of the Arab Spring and to the revolution. She was one of the most hostile to this. Yeah. And, uh, and you met with her in the book. You recount meeting with her and she refused to offer any sort of assistance. I did, and it wasn't that she refused. She wouldn't give any indication about anything, like not even an impression. Like you're meeting with someone who's so cold, uh, so just smiling and nodding and giving nothing of substance. When I had to work on the proposal that I, the message I had from the Libyans, because I represented the Libyans with her uh, for, uh, you know, uh, at the very beginning and with uh, Assistant Secretary of State, uh, Mike Posner, who I gave him exactly what the Libyans were requesting, uh, which resulted a few hours later the Security Council resolution that started the Libya process. Yeah, uh, yeah I feel, of course, kind of, you know, uh, this is not what we agreed about. <laughs> Things went to hell, you know. Yeah, we... we- uh, there were specific points that it was that were clarified, and it was clear that actually the the, first, the, the Security Council resolution that came out at that time represented these ideas, but obviously what followed was. Um, I, 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 before we run out of time, Ahmed, I, I wanted you to speak to this question that we had discussed earlier about nonviolence versus violence. Was the uh, this movement uh, in Egypt was largely nonviolent, uh, but there was violence uh, within it, and and you write in the book that you don't see a contradiction there. Um, was it violent? Was it nonviolent? How did it work? Uh, we have been strictly strongly uh, 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 non-violent, but in a practical manner. What is the meaning of it? So we never use anything lethal to attack our opponents who are attacking us. I mean, uh, we never use guns. We never use knives. Actually, in the perimeter, uh, the entrances of Tahrir or any of the sit-in locations, you would have security entrances where there are volunteers that would give a body search and bag search to every single person coming in. Uh, Men for men, women for women, of course, and so on. The point is that we wanted to make sure we are never uh, 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 causing real harm to anyone. We looked at the other side as oppressed soldiers who are unaware and who are 
doing following their orders. So we resorted into different tactics. We would give these messages that are like, we are your brothers and sisters, uh, we are your family, we are, your, uh, we are doing this for you, where will you be in the future, what will happen to your children. You know, like, there are always these things that you try to tell them so that you try to uh, uh, reduce the brainwash that they were exposed to. Uh, and on the other hand, uh, we, when we get attacked, we have to defend ourselves. So we defend ourselves by breaking uh, bricks into small pieces so that we are throwing stones, but not a stone that would uh, break a skull or cause uh, uh, a real injury, just to uh, 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 keep them away. Now, suppose there is an incursion and they are coming in with firearms and shooting, which happened several times. Uh, then, in this case, we try to make a buffer zone with Molotov cocktails. So, I am a very, very dedicated person to nonviolence. I was on a hunger strike when I was supposed to do my military service because I'm a pacifist until I actually died and broke back. I, was, I had a clinical death. But I was also teaching activists how to make proper Molotovs in order to defend our lives in order to create the buffer zone so the soldiers on the other side wouldn't cross it. Who would want to cross fire? Uh, and so we can hide behind our barricade. This may sound like, oh, that uh, this could hurt the soldiers and so on. This is not uh, nonviolent anymore. But get to the real question here. We are being fired at with live ammunition. People get killed. Like in the massacre of Hamad Mahmoud, the former Minister of Health at that time, in 2011, it was in November 2011, that we were under attack for six days in Tahrir. He said the number of bodies taken to hospitals at that time were 1,004. Most of the people who were killed were taken to their families. So we don't know the exact number, but I would suggest it would be probably four or five times. Uh, because they used chemical weapons, they used firearms all the time, there were all these puncture wounds of bullets, uh, 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 there was cabin, which is nerve gas, there was VX, a nerve gas, there was TR, not just TS, which is considered a chemical weapon, and so on. It's been uh, an issue that, of course, is discussed. And, uh, so this is how we did non-violence. It's a kind of uh, a real practical non-violence. So we are not saying uh, that people should be so passive that they would get massacred. And we are not saying, uh, oh, you have to stand for your rights. You go and you say to cops, A-C-A-B, you know, and all these things. No, this is so wrong. Neither is right. You defend yourself. You are friendly with the police. Those who were attacking us, when some one of them gets injured, we were treating them. We will take care of them and until we send them back. So they're lying. Because then they go back there and they change the minds of their colleagues. So when they are ordered to fire, they don't shoot to kill. They shoot to miss. And this is very important. That saved lives. Extremely important. And one of many, many important lessons in this book. Uh, we've been speaking with Ahmed Saleh. The book is You Are Under Arrest for Masterminding the Egyptian Revolution, a memoir. And found on Amazon. Uh, uh, yes, yes. 
you can you can buy it online or at the bookstore or anywhere and i highly recommend that you do uh ahmed thank you uh for what you've done and for writing the book and coming on the program Thank you very much. I really appreciate it, uh, of course. Thank you. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. I'm traveling around the United States right now doing events with my new book, War is a Lie, second edition. I hope to see you. Find the schedule of events at warisalie.org. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.